Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome back to Pot Save the World. This is Tommy Vitor. Thank you guys for tuning in as always. Today's episode is revisiting a topic I've discussed here before, which is ethnic cleansing happening in Burma right now as we speak. My guest is Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. He just got back from a delegation visit to Burma and Bangladesh to see for himself refugee camps, to meet with government officials and try to figure out what is happening and what the United States government can do to respond. He has a great firsthand view of the situation. It is increasingly desperate. And he also offers some advice for how everyone listening can get involved and actually push the United States government to do more and support people who desperately need it. So thank you for tuning in. And here's the interview. Today on Pod Save the World, I'd like to welcome United States Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon to the show. Senator Merkley is a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he just returned home from a fact-finding mission to Burma and Bangladesh to assess the ongoing ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya people there. And so I am incredibly grateful to him that he made time to join the show today and to help shine a light on this issue. Thank you, Senator. Oh, you're so welcome, and I appreciate you doing a, a podcast on it. Any podcast titled uh, Save the World, we should be talking about what's going on in Burma. Yeah, we need a little more of that. So just to quickly catch people up on the situation, there is right now a horrific ethnic cleansing happening in Burma. The Burmese military has slaughtered thousands of innocent people. They have raped women. They have targeted and murdered children. The sole goal of their terror is to drive the Rohingya, a Muslim minority group that has been in Burma for centuries, out of the country. And it has been incredibly effective. More than 600,000 Rohingya have crossed the border and are clinging to life, basically, in refugee camps just on the other side of the border in Bangladesh. You just visited those refugee camps, so I was hoping we could start there. I believe you spent two days at camps or in Bangladesh, I believe one was established in the 90s and one was set up in like October of 2016. What did you hear from the people you met? What did you see when you were on the ground in Bangladesh? You bet. We went to the Balukali refugee camp, which is a camp recently set up for the, the new wave of refugees. And uh, what we saw was, as far as the eye could see, uh, uh, one plastic tarp after another. Uh, folks were building uh, split bamboo frames, draping plastic over the top, the type of shelters that work fine for a, a light rain with no wind, but mm -hmm. will come right down when there's a, a real storm. And it was just, uh, I don't know, the to walk in to various settings there in the camp where children were collected, where women were collected, and to be able to carry on a, a conversation, albeit with uh, interpreters, for example, uh, walked into a room of women who were un getting educated about how to prevent there from being um, an epidemic, a disease epidemic in the camp. And um, I asked the question, I, I, Senator Durbin was with me, and I said, let's just stay for a minute and ask if, if any of these women would, would be willing to share a story. 
And I wasn't sure that they, they would to a, a Westerner from far away. But immediately the room erupted. And a woman uh, jumped up and pulled up her sleeve to show uh, scars from burns on, the, on her arm that came from her house burning down as she fled. Another woman stood up to uh, share the horrific story of, of her child, her one-year-old child, and her husband being killed. Jesus. And um, the the whole room was abuzz. I, I think that uh, these women wanted the world to know what had gone on. Their houses were burned down. Their, their villages were burned down. Uh, there was systematic rape. Uh, children were killed in front of them. Men were shot leaving the village. And those who didn't directly experience violence uh, were basically in a situation where they experienced violence against others in their neighborhood or in their village, and then were told, "If you don't leave right now, you're next." And so um, uh, they were they were fleeing for their lives, and uh, thus this uh, enormous enormous uh, cascade of of individuals. You think of that six over six hundred thousand people since August twenty fifth, mm. plunging into a, a country that has no room. Yeah. The the country of Bangladesh is half underwater. Half the entire country is less than 15 feet above sea level. It, it floods every year. And that country, which is not that large, has 160 million people. Wow. Uh, so there's, uh, they're, they're just, the, the refugees are perched on hillsides, among trees, any spare piece of land, anywhere they can find. So they're essentially in tents with zero infrastructure. No one necessarily wants them there. Who's providing services? And, and what's the gap between the need and what's being provided by, I, I assume, uh, is mostly international aid organizations? Well, often when a flood of refugees occurs, uh, a country will shut its border to them. In this case, uh, the prime minister, Sheikh Hasina, basically said to her cabinet, we're not doing that. Uh, we are going to open our border. Uh, these people need uh, a refuge. We're going to provide that. Uh, we're going to work with the United Nations and international aid organizations to assist. So there were groups like like Mercy Corps and Red Cross uh, providing assistance in partnership with UN organizations like uh, the UN Population Fund. And uh, we should pause and give a huge uh, thank you to uh, Bangladesh and to the Prime Minister uh, for her action because the conditions would be so, so much more horrific uh, had she not uh, seen fit to uh, enable people to escape. Yeah, I agree with that. So you also visited Burma itself. You went to the Rakhine State, which is a, a sliver of land by the water where the Rohingya have lived for centuries. I believe you met with civil society groups. You visited a community that sounds like a, a ghetto or de facto prison for the Rohingya. What did you see on the on the Burma side and hear from the people you met there? And, and how does their treatment compare to the treatment of individuals in refugee camps on the Bangladesh side? So in September, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, the uh, state minister, and, and uh, I say state minister, we think of her as the president of Burma. Uh, however, their constitution doesn't allow her to be, to be president. So right. when her party won the majority elections, she got a special title, a special arrangement, if you will. But she's a civilian leader. In September, she gave a speech to the United Nations. And she invited the world to come see for themselves what was going on in Rakhine State. She said, come visit the villages, uh, see what's happening. 
Our delegation, our five members of Congress, took her up on that invitation, and we fully anticipated, we were led to uh, believe we would be able to visit the sites of the villages and of the um, internally displaced persons camps, IDP camps, and I'll come back to those in in a moment. When we arrived in Rakhine State in Sitwe, the capital, uh, we found that we were not going to be allowed. The government had revoked permission to go to the uh, IDP camps and to go to the villages. This tells you a lot. They are determined to seal the world off from seeing what happened. I mean, not only were villages burned, but many traces of the villages are being removed uh, in order to make it more difficult for people to return. And that census really, uh, I mean, doubles down on the the words ethnic cleansing. They're really cleansing the ground, trying to make it difficult to have a, a possible return. In There is one camp, though, in the capital of Sitwe. And you can think of this as a neighborhood that has been walled off from the rest of the city. Uh, Think of the Warsaw Ghetto before it had big high walls. In this case, um, there are police stations at the end of each street and car barriers. So it's very clearly defined. Uh, People are not legally allowed to to leave. If they were to sneak out, it would be a a crime and they would be returned. There may be some uh, punishment for that. They cannot go and open their shops a small distance away. They have to get permission to travel to an IDP camp for a health care condition to get a referral to travel back to the hospital that's just a few minutes away from their neighborhood. So it turns what should be a five-minute trip into a trip of many hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are dependent upon rice uh, being donated from the government, and they're not getting uh, enough of it. Uh, they are dependent on uh, school teachers for their high school inside the neighborhood, and those teachers haven't returned since August 25th. They do have volunteer teachers for the, the lower grades from the, the, the community. But this is, uh, you can think of this as a prison within the city. And uh, there, many of them who voted in 2010 said to us that they, they had had their uh, voting rights uh, stripped from them uh, just after that. Yeah. So this is a... a a lighter version of the camps, which have even more serious restrictions. I think very few Americans are aware that in central Rakhine, there are 120,000 people in these camps, and they've been in these camps for five years. And in northern Rakhine, where the villages were being burned, you now have an estimated just one out of eight members of the Rohingya community are left, one out of eight. That's uh, shows the effectiveness of the assault of the, the government's uh, effort to drive them out of, out of the country. Yeah, I think that what you just outlined is what makes people who've worked on this issue for a long time so angry and so frustrated is, you know, as horrific as the recent events have been, uh, this is a problem that they've seen coming for a very long time. The, the Rohingya have been treated like a, a pariah in their own country for far, far too long. But I'm also glad you raised Aung San Suu Kyi. Like you said, she's the state counselor of Burma, sort of similar to prime minister or president. But for decades, she was a political prisoner and an activist in Burma. She won a Nobel Peace Prize in the early 90s for what was seen as a heroic resistance. Today, she is being harshly criticized by some people. Some would argue she's complicit in this ethnic cleansing, that she deserves our contempt, that her Nobel Peace Prize should be revoked. Others say she's in an impossible position because, like you said, her job is in some ways a figurehead. She is the military holds a lot of sway. Uh, They're actually conducting the ethnic cleansing and they hold all the real power. You met with some of her ministers. Like, what did you hear from them? And where do you land over on this debate over how much blame she should shoulder? 
Yes, we met with the union minister for her office, who is the uh, the, the top government official. We met with uh, her national security advisor. We met with the union minister for social welfare. And we also had the chance on the military side to, to meet with uh, one of the deputy ministers who covers the border affairs. Frame your answer. Let me turn the clock back to uh, independence in the 1940s. From 19, I believe it was 48 through 1962 when there was a military coup, the uh, Rohingya were pretty free to operate and participate, uh, to be involved in the country. And after the uh, military coup, the oppression became much worse. Now, the military over the past decades has had an operating style of basically time and time again burning villages, systematic rape, oppression of rights, and driving people out of the country. It's happened in a number of provinces, so the Rakhine state is not unique. This brand of action is what was on full display to the world since August 25th, and it is the military uh, that has under the Constitution full control of uh, international security and domestic security. They also are able to uh, appoint one-fourth of the uh, uh, parliament, and they have several key ministers for which they're guaranteed to make the appointments as as well. And so they wield tremendous power. And it wasn't anticipated by the military that they would uh, ever not, kind of not be in charge. The mm-hmm. fact that Aung San Suu Kyi's party won a majority despite uh, the quarter of the seats given to the military was, was, was a surprise and an opportunity. But her government is to some significant degree a uh, facade for still a country run by the military. And so when you think of uh, war crimes, when you think of who's responsible for ethnic cleansing, it has to be the Burmese military that you're, you're targeting. Now, this doesn't let her off the hook because she has a responsibility to call out these crimes against humanity. Uh, She has a responsibility to draw international attention. And when she issues an invitation to the world to come see what's going on, she has a responsibility to make sure that those who visit, like we did, actually get to see what is going on. Mm -hmm. And if our ability to visit was vetoed by the military, then she should say that. Uh, um, She has a responsibility to help design Uh, the changes that would lead to the Rohingya having the rights to operate as full participants in in Burmese uh, democracy. But she's been very unsympathetic to that. The the prejudices against uh, this ethnic group, this ethnic group of Muslims in a Buddhist state, is huge. The general view of the citizenry, and and polling says that this is held by 90% of the citizens in the country, is they view this population... Uh, as illegitimate uh, intruders, even though they have been there often for centuries. But the argument is that they were brought in under the colonial period as cheap labor, that they were brought in uh, from uh, across the river, that they aren't a legitimate minority. In fact, a 1982 law that laid out 135, recognized 135 uh, ethnic groups in the country, 
deliberately excluded them from being mentioned. And at that point, a lot of them did lose their rights to vote and, and citizenship at, at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the framing. And she has seemed to have shared that framing and not stood up for these folks who have lived in, in the country uh, for a couple hundred, hundred years. Yeah. Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Support for Pod Save the World comes from the International Rescue Committee. The IRC works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Sudan, displaced families are experiencing war, extreme hunger, and life-threatening injuries. In Gaza, Ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. The International Rescue Committee is working with local partners in Gaza to provide life-saving medical care to injured civilians. The IRC works around the world to help families in crisis by delivering critical supplies such as therapeutic food for malnourished children, clean water, cash assistance, and more. Your donation will support this work and help children and families survive. Listen, the International Rescue Committee is an incredible organization. They are doing the Lord's work all around the globe. I have donated to them, you know, for many, many years now because I know that my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. If you're watching the events around the world that might freak you out, got this election coming down the pike, there's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep, and therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Crooked World. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Crooked World. Once again, you know, social media is exacerbating the problem. Uh, Facebook in particular has been a, a key driver of this toxic fake news that exacerbates tensions between the Buddhist majority and the Rohingya, who, as you said, are, are a Muslim minority group. How do we deal with this 
spread of fake news and this incitement that's happening on Facebook? And relatedly, what does it do to our moral authority and our ability to address these problems and to push Burma and to push technology companies like Facebook to prevent the spread of inflammatory fake news when our own United States president is spreading racist, disgusting, anti-Muslim videos on Twitter just today? Well, Tommy, I'm, I'm really glad you raised this because um, this is something that hasn't gotten much attention in, in the West, and it helps explain why was the reaction so much stronger this time than we have seen at some of the episodes of the past. And uh, I should mention that there is a, a rebel group. Uh, it's known as ARSA, or the Arakan Rohingya Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. It's a group of uh, folks who do occasional strikes on uh, military outposts, and they did conduct a strike on August 25th, and right. about a dozen uh, security officers were killed in the course of that. And it was in reaction to the, that that the military swept in and started burning villages. There is no way that one can justify ethnic cleansing on the basis of a few rebels striking a couple of police outposts. Uh, this, So uh, I wanted to set that context. Right. But part of what happened in the reaction, and by the way, the military's reaction was aided by near, nearby um, uh, Rakhine minorities that held the same views and then uh, as the military and then threatened these these villagers and sometimes participated in the assaults on the villagers so there there was a, a group that from outside the military that amplified helped amplify the, the the reaction and part of the reason that that reaction was so swift and so strong was because in just the last 3 years facebook has swept the country and it is the internet it isn't like there is facebook and it's a it's a one spot you go to on the internet essentially it is the internet there and so when people put up stories uh, fake stories of uh, rohingya attacking rakhine or told stories about uh, terrible, horrific a- attacks. One, people absolutely believed it. They believed anything posted on Facebook must be true or you wouldn't be allowed to post it. They don't really kind of digest, as we don't completely, mm-hmm. the, that so many false stories are spread on, on Facebook. And so that inflamed emotional reactions that stemmed from the social media really added to the severity of the, the crimes that were, were committed. And you asked, you know, how do we address this? And you mentioned that our president uh, put up videos, two videos today that uh, are videos de- deliberately intended to inflame animosity and hatred and mm-hmm. discrimination against Muslims. Right. And by the way, this is so unacceptable, unforgivable that our president should be driving these divisions. Our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible. Well, our president doesn't understand the word indivisible. He doesn't understand that we are Americans. He wants to divide one group of Americans against another. He does it time and time again. He's done it against uh, Mexicans. He's done it against African Americans. He's done it against disabled. He's done it against women. He's done it against veterans. And um, he certainly has done it probably than more than any other group against uh, Muslims and Muslim Americans. Yeah. And when, when he does that, uh, we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with our fellow Muslim uh, Americans. And uh, I've already criticized the, the president for those videos he put up today, but uh, it's beyond conception that an American president uh, should do that. And it certainly, as 
it did in Burma, amplifying animosities between groups. The president, our president, is engaged in that right here. Yeah. I mean, people need to understand how much time administrations usually spend going to countries that don't have the respect for rule of law or freedom of the press that we do. And we push them to do hard things that we don't want to do. And if we hemorrhage our moral authority to push people to the right place by propagating fake news like this, by banning entire religion from our own country, we're weakening our national security. We're hurting ourselves diplomatically. And it's just there's no way to fully account for how much harm he's doing on that front. No, and, and in terms of national security, there are two pieces of this we should pay a lot of attention to. When you drive hundreds of thousands of Muslims into a refugee camp in Bangladesh, uh, it becomes a place where radicalization can very easily uh, uh, breed. Uh, and I know Bangladesh is very, very concerned about this. Uh, you've been mistreated. Your, your land is gone. Your world is gone. Your family member has been slaughtered, and you're angry. And someone comes says, "Say, come join us, and let's uh, let's attack people that we hold responsible." Yeah. And maybe maybe that those people responsible are are the Burmese military and their outposts. But maybe that's also like, look, America hasn't. The president of America didn't even say one word, not one word about what happened to us. Yep. And so. This is a breeding ground for ISIS, and certainly President Trump should realize that that radicalization endangers our national security. I've been pushing for President Trump to speak publicly about this cleansing, this uh, horrific crime against humanity. Our Secretary of State uh, said that we needed to go through a formal process before we called it ethnic cleansing. The Secretary of State has completed that and has now called it ethnic cleansing. That's a step forward. But we have yet to hear one public word from President Trump on this issue. And to the Muslim world, it looks like, well, if it was some other population, you would be saying with moral authority, this is unacceptable. But because it's Muslims that are being uh, killed and, uh, and raped and driven from their land, you're not saying a word. Yeah. And that just feeds right into ISIS's recruiting strategy. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Look, there are times when humanitarian responses and interventions are incredibly complicated. I I approach this with a lot of humility as someone who worked on Syria policy and I'm far from proud or or happy about the outcome there. But when you read books like Samantha Power's book, A Problem from Hell, which talks about genocide and genocide prevention, or when you read about Rwanda and the Clinton administration's response in the 90s, there are things you can do that are well short of going to war to pressure countries to stop things like ethnic cleansing. It doesn't appear to me like the Trump administration has done any of it. They've announced 47 million humanitarian assistance. I guess Tillerson took one trip over there, but he's generally pretty feckless. He's busy slashing jobs or whatever he does at state. As you noted, Trump hasn't said anything. How do we push them to do more? Like, Where do you think the levers are? Well, one lever is through the United Nations, and we have participated in a a dialogue there in the Security Council uh, for a a resolution that was going to be blocked by China. So the UN Security Council did put out a statement rather than a resolution. And then the third committee of the UN has voted on a, uh, uh, a draft resolution that will be forwarded to the full body, voted overwhelmingly in support of it, uh, condemning what's taking place. I think, though, that this situation requires more than just statements and resolutions. We really have to have an international discussion about the ways pressure can be applied. And uh, that just isn't uh, happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it won't happen as long as the president of the United States can't even say a public word about the challenge. By the way, you mentioned the challenge of responding about what you do after you have these refugees and the humility we should have. Bangladesh is working with Burma to work out a strategy for repatriation. Mm -hmm. And they have an initial agreement initialed that hasn't been, been, uh, the details haven't been released. But from what we hear, it it basically uh, probably doesn't address what needs to take place. My concern and the concern of many is that Bangladesh will be in a hurry to get people back across the border Uh, Burma will proceed to put people into camps rather than returning them to their villages. And uh, to have more camps, I mean, these camps breed isolation, which uh, breeds prejudice, which breeds discrimination, which breeds hatred. Putting people in camps is just unacceptable. And so um, people need to be able to go back to their village. They need to have, they won't go back unless they have very, very strong uh, guarantees of their safety because they are terrified of their vulnerability from the the neighboring communities and from the the military. They have to have a way to have a pathway to be participants in Burmese democracy. They have to have voting rights. And um, this involves a huge change of mind from the vision 
that the country has had of these interlopers, we are going to exclude them and maybe maybe uh, they'll leave someday. Mm-hmm. And when they don't leave, we'll, we'll kind of feel okay about uh, ethnic cleansing. Right. Uh, we can't, the world can't let them feel okay about this or that this can possibly rebound to their favor. Yeah. And one of the things that's really scary right now is that the military has experienced a surge in popularity in response to them burning these villages and driving the Rohingya out of the country. And in the next elections, that could put the military in charge of the Democratic side as well as the military side of of the government. So if they just feel like the world's going to look the other way and not do anything serious, it's an invitation to continue this decades-long practice that that they've had, this strategy of systematic village burning, uh, systematic rape, systematic exclusion of rights, and systematic uh, driving people out of the country. Yeah, our silence truly does hurt in this situation. I know that Congress has tried to sort of step into the void and do something. Uh, Senator McCain, Senator Durbin, Senator Cardin, you have been working on legislation. My understanding is that, you know, there are discussions of targeted sanctions against key military leaders, discussions of cutting off military to military ties, uh, limits on sort of precious metals and minerals that come out of Burma, uh, and that there's conversations that are ongoing about next steps. Can you give us a sense of what you think Congress may or may not do, what people listening can do to help push that bill forward, and, and explain why Senator McConnell seems hell-bent on preventing meaningful legislation from passing? So there is a resolution led by Senator Durbin that is a, a statement condemning the violence. Uh, just debating that on the floor and voting on it and, and sending it over to the House would be, would be valuable and, and important in terms of shining a, a broader light on this. Uh, to date, uh, I've spoken on the floor about it, and, and uh, Senator Young, a Republican, and, and uh, the uh, chairman of the multilateral subcommittee, of the Committee on uh, Foreign Relations uh, joined me on the floor, so it was great to have a bipartisan uh, uh, presentation. Then, in addition to the resolution, Senator McCain and Senator Cardin have worked on sanctions legislation, and uh, this calls out ethnic cleansing. It imposes visa bans and financial restrictions on targeted military leaders. It limits U.S. security and military assistance. One of the questions that that we need to ask as we work on this uh, sanctions legislation is how do we make sure it's targeted at the military? It was the military that has practiced uh, this strategy for decades. It's the military that went in. It's the military that torched the, the villages. It's the military that shot at the people fleeing. It's the military that raped people. It has to be targeted at the at the military. We don't have a lot of military interaction uh, with Burma right now. Um, during the Obama administration, we took actions to start some initial relationships and dialogue, and there is some training that occurs, but not much uh, for their officers, and most of what is taking place is more about uh, humanitarian responsibilities, appropriate conduct for, for the military. But the military does, you know, they're looking to the world. They want to be, they don't want to just be dependent upon on China as the, the place to go to. And that's the way it was when, when the rest of the world, when they were, had sealed themselves off from the rest of the world. So we have some leverage here, and how do we exercise it? So certainly sanctions legislation is one possibility, but I also don't want to f- lose the point that just the attention from the 
president of the United States rallying the world to be part of a response is essential for us to operate on our own and the rest of the world to do nothing wouldn't mean nearly what it would be if the whole international community uh, focused on 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 this on this issue. Yeah. My last question for you, Senator, because I know you have votes and I'm, I'm very grateful for your time. People listening to this are probably pretty horrified, as I am. What can we do to help? What aid groups did you see on the ground doing good work? What can we do to lobby Congress? Like, what recommendations do you have? So the only aid group that's been allowed into Rakhine State at this point uh, is the the Red Cross. Uh, there are other groups standing by ready to, to help, uh, groups like uh, Mercy Corps. But uh, certainly assisting the Red Cross would, would be relevant. Uh, certainly uh, lobbying your House and Senate members to weigh in on this, to tweet about it, to speak on the floor about it, to support legislation, to co-sponsor legislation about it, to ask their, their leadership on the House and Senate side to put this issue on the floor in the form of a resolution and in the form of a sanctions bill. All of that would be very helpful. What we're really suffering from right now is um, a lack of attention. There's a lot of attention to a potential government shutdown and a funding mm-hmm. bill. There's a lot of attention to a tax bill. Uh, there's a lot of attention to North Korea and a missile test. There's a lot of attention to so many things that this horrific situation is it just the, the press isn't making it a, a banner event that the world needs to respond to. Uh, so we really, really have to, to um, press on this. So, And I want to note that whereas um, President Trump called for cutting the funds for international organizations, one of the things that folks can lobby their House and Senate members for is to say, fund these international organizations, right. the types that, that help out in a whole variety of places, from Syrian refugees, as, as you mentioned, your work in Syria, to this situation, to the, the four famines uh, happening in the, the Middle East and uh, North Africa. Support foreign aid uh, funding. Uh, these are pieces of the broader puzzle that are very relevant. Yeah, I agree. Senator, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for taking this trip and filling us in on what you saw and, and your continued focus on this issue. It is it is very important. There's not nearly enough attention being paid to it. So I'm very grateful to you and the group that you went with for all the work you're doing. Well, thank you for using your podcast to uh, direct attention to it. And uh, uh, hopefully we can get the United States really, really geared up in partnership with the world to uh, make such activity absolutely uh, uh, unacceptable, to reverse what's been done there in Burma and to discourage other countries from ever doing anything like this. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks again for listening to Pod Save the World. If you like the show, please review us and rate us in iTunes and also check out the Pod Save the World Facebook page for additional information. Thank you. morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. 
The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.